Hello. Uh, my name is Kurt Kiefer. I'm an elder here at the bridge, in case you don't know me. Um, my wife and I, Marianne, and our daughter, Josephine, um, are in the um, Sunday Night Heights group, or were this past year. This coming up year, we're probably going to be in the Galleria group, but we don't know yet. Um, but that's just a little bit about um, us. Um, I'm here today to introduce our guest speaker. He is with the Houston Church Planning Network. Uh, his name is Calvin Williams. He is, yeah, love that. Love, uh, again, love that enthusiasm. Um, Calvin is planting a church in Katy uh, with Church Project, which is a, um, a very, uh, very great church up in the Woodlands. Um, so it's a plant out of Church Project um, in the Katy area. So um, we love here at the bridge to um, support church planting. We, it's one of our core values. Um, that, uh, that the word is spread. Um, so uh, join with us um, in praying for Calvin um, this week and in, in the months coming up, um, as well as uh, the church plant and, and that it, uh, it is successful and that people are reached. Um, so yeah, please join, join with us in doing that. Also, I want to say that if you know of anybody in Katy, you know, you can encourage them to to check out the church project, uh, Katie, with Calvin. Um, and certainly, if you are yourselves in Katie, uh, we encourage you to, to go check it out. Um, all right, without further ado, Calvin Williams. Yeah. Awesome. We'll get this fixed. I told him I tend to speak kind of loud. So, uh, man, we are so excited to be here. Like you said, my name is Calvin Williams. I have a very special guest with me, my beautiful wife, Crystal Williams, in the back. And our 36-week, I believe, uh, month-old or week-old baby that is uh, to come. And so 36 weeks measuring ahead. So if in the middle of this thing, uh, I got to go, I got to go. And uh, I'm going to get someone else to come up and finish for me. So, no, we're excited. A little background uh, so you kind of know who we are. Uh, We got married in college and Four and a half years ago, we moved to Katy, Texas to take over a church that had kind of fallen apart. We took over it, and uh, so we've been leading there for four years, and in the last year, we uh, were just really similar with this church called Church Project, and so we partnered with them uh, to replant as Church Project in Katy, and we're uh, excited about what God's doing there. And so, yeah, if you know anyone in Katy, send them our way. We would love to get to know them, have dinner with them, and uh, talk with them. With that, uh, the reason I'm here and the reason I know Heath, uh, the pastor here, is because we're part of a thing called Houston Church Planning Network. I'm sure some of you have heard of that before. And so uh, as a part of wanting to relaunch our, our church, that we believe the city needs more healthy churches. Uh, if you don't know, the, the greater Houston area has around 3,000 people who move, move to the greater Houston area every week, Right? So how many churches do you need to keep up, just to keep up, not to even increase, but just to keep up with the amount of people in Houston, right? You need a lot of churches, right? And so people think there's a lot of churches in Houston. There's nowhere near enough churches to keep up with the current population, not including all the population that's growing every single week. And so as a part of that, Houston Church Planning Network trains, equips people to uh, plant churches. If you've ever even had a thought about doing that, you can get involved in, in there. They have monthly gatherings. They have different things where you can just learn if that's something you would like to do. But it has been such a blessing to us to, to have other pastors, other churches equip us, train us, and, and send us out. As a part of that, Heath was one of the guys who interviewed me 
to get into the residency program that I'm in, and so, uh, so I hope that I succeed today. I hope that I am approved of uh, in my preaching and in our time together. The coolest thing about it, uh, just as we were worshiping, like I said, we've been in a church in Katy, and the coolest thing in this last year of going to different churches is all the different contexts, all the different locations, all the different types of people, all the different types of churches that even still, like when I come into any of them, I get to see a glimpse of the family of God. And it's just cool how we can come here and I can see how you have this love for one another, this worship for one another. And even if you're brand new and you just showed up, like I think one of the things you'll see is, as I saw back there, was just this love and community. And so it's awesome to me, never ceases to amaze me how people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, social, financial levels, everything, people who never knew one another, love one another and know each other because of a guy named Jesus who lived and died 2,000 years ago. Right? That just blows my mind, and that's the amazing thing that the church is and that we get to be a part of. So that's a little bit about us, and I want to start off today with a, a little bit of a, a challenge. Um, we all follow something or someone in our lives, and what I mean by that is that you aren't you just for no reason. There are people, philosophies, traditions family members, bosses, pastors, books, podcasts, movies that all speak into your life over the past years of your life, and they develop and form who we are. And so there is some sort of tradition or philosophy or person that we are all affected by and that we all follow. We all have some sort of thing in our mind that we follow in the way that we live our marriage, and the way that we handle our finances, and the way that we treat our children, and the way that we decide to live in certain places, there are things that affect the way we think about these things and affect the decisions we make. And so we're all following something. And especially in our culture now, we are all surrounded by so many voices. There are so many things and so many people who want to speak into your life, Right? You got the Facebook, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, you got all the movies, you got all the blog posts, you got all the podcasts, right? Everyone has an opinion, and all these voices that surround us and tell us who we should be, what we should believe, and what we should do. And my challenge for us today is number one, with the people in your life, how do you know who you should listen to? How do you decide that this is a person that I should listen to, that I can model my life after, that I can trust and believe in? And so what, one of the things we're going to do today as we study the scriptures is we're going to look at that. How do you know who it is around your circle in your life that you can follow and listen to and know that this is a, a good thing, a healthy thing, a godly person to base your life on? And then second... Ultimately, I want to challenge you to name one person worth following more in your life, worth basing your beliefs on in your life, worth basing your decisions on in your life more than Jesus Christ. That's my challenge for you today, to really just step back and say, is there one person in all of human history that is worth me looking at and saying, you know what, we're all following someone, he's worth following more than anyone else. That's what I want to challenge you with today. So if you've got a Bible, open up to the book of Titus. And I notice if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the seats. So you can grab one. We're going to be in the book of Titus. 
I'm going to be here for two weeks, and then another resident is coming for the next two weeks. And so for these four weeks total, we're going to walk through this book called Titus. If you've never heard of that and you're wondering where that is, it's toward the end of the Bible. Uh, Bible is broken into Old Testament, New Testament. This is in the New Testament, and it is uh, pretty close to the end, right after 1st and 2nd Timothy. And you can look in your table of contents if you need to find that. And as you're turning there, uh, just to give a little context, because we're jumping into a new book uh, out of the blue, so give a little context of what we're going to read. Titus is a letter, right? It's a letter. So if I sat down, or Heath is an older pastor, and so if Heath sat down and he wrote me, you're older than me, right? <laughs> but I, actually, I said this, I was thinking earlier, if some of you are thinking, I said before, I've been a past lead, the lead pastor of a church for four and a half years. If some of you are thinking, you look kind of young to have been a you know, pastor for a while. I was thinking, number one, I am. Uh, we got started right out of college. And then number two, I normally have a beard, and I clean shaved that this morning, so I feel all baby-faced, and I feel like I even feel that. Heath's an older pastor than me. He's been doing it longer than me. And so if Heath wrote me, Calvin, a younger guy who's trying to do ministry, and Katie a letter to encourage me, to teach me, to strengthen me, to help me and then to, by nature, help the church. That's what we're reading in Titus. Titus is a letter written by a man named Paul. Many of you probably know who Paul is. Some of you might not. Paul's a missionary, apostle. Dude's been traveling around the world. And what Paul would do, he would go to a place, he would tell people about Jesus, reach and people for Jesus, and he would gather them together in a church. And then he would put leaders over that church, and he would be there for a couple years, strengthen the church, and then he would leave, and he would go to a new city, and he would do it again, reach the people for Jesus, gather them together, put up leadership, go to a new place. And so he traveled around the world doing this, and as he did that, he had people who would do it with him. And one of those people was a younger man named Titus. Titus was a co-worker with Paul. Uh, Paul had a big influence on his life. Paul was kind of a mentor to Titus, and so Titus is in a city called Crete, and Paul, who's in a different place, is writing this letter back to Titus, right? Kind of like if Heath wrote me a letter for Katie, Paul's writing a letter to this man named Titus to strengthen him, to encourage him, and to speak about the church. And then uh, what we're going to do today as we go through the chapter, you'll see it's kind of broken into three sections, verse 1 through 4, verse 5 through 9, verse 10 through 16. And what we're going to do is we're just going to go section by section and see what does this tell us and how should we apply it to our lives. So I want to start off with praying and then we'll start reading. God, thank you so much for who you are. And I thank you so much for your church, God, and your kingdom and your glory and your gospel. And I thank you for the bridge mantras. Thank you for how you've used Heath and the other amazing people here, God, to strengthen believers, to share the gospel, to reach people for you. And I thank you for this amazing church family. And what a privilege it is for me to be able to come here to open up your scripture, which the Holy Spirit, we believe, spoke and wrote, God, that we still believe today can change lives. And God, I just pray that in a in a world of so many voices and opinions that are surrounding us, God, that right now we would take the time to stop and listen to your voice in the Scripture, and that we would believe these words can change our lives. I love you, God, and I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. A faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I don't know if you've ever written a letter to anyone, but normally if I ever write a letter to someone, it's not exactly this weighty when I start, right? Normally it's like, dear Crystal, hi. Paul starts off just throwing all of this stuff out, right? He just loads it up from the front and a lot of things going on here. This is Paul's introduction to his letter to Titus. And there's so much weight in this, but the one thing I want to point out in this section is Paul's purpose for writing this. Paul makes it very clear what his purpose for writing this letter is. And not just this letter, but his whole life, his whole ministry. He says, like, this is why I'm doing this. Verse 1, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for, this is the reason I do all of this, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness. Titus, the reason I'm writing you this letter. Titus, the reason I travel the world and preach the gospel. Titus, the reason that I build up churches. Titus, if you know anything about Paul's background, the reason that I was shipwrecked, the reason I've been stoned, the reason I've been in prison numerous times, the reason I've been beaten, and I still do this, is all for the purpose of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Faith that leads to godliness. Two things I want to point out about Paul's purpose and this part right here. Number one is that it's faith first that leads to godliness. A lot of us, when we think of Christianity and we think of God, if we were to be honest, a lot of times we have a a view of God that's more like Zeus. (laughs) Anyone know like Zeus, Greek mythology? And kind of the idea with Zeus is that Zeus is this like big strong guy sitting in the sky with his lightning bolts, and he is just like looking for the opportunity to strike people down. Like God is up in heaven, he's got this list of rules, and if we break one, he is excited because he gets to strike us down, right? That is not the God of the Bible, and that is definitely not the God that we're reading about and the God of the gospel, but that's how we think of God. And so what that means is that most people, when they think of Christianity and they think of what does it mean to have a relationship with God, they think, I better do A, B, C, D through Z, and if I don't, he won't love me, he won't accept me, and he might just strike me down. And that's their view of God. And I love what Paul is saying here because this is the secret of the gospel is that it's faith first before anything you ever do. Before anything you ever do, it's faith first. Faith and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Faith first. I've heard it said this way as an example is that it's like faith is a seed that gets planted. 
And as that seed has good soil and good water, it grows up and then it produces, you know, a a great tree that will produce fruit and do some awesome things. But what we think is we think like we need to be the full functioning tree and we forget that it all started with this small little single seed called faith. And the gospel is that God knows that we're not perfect, knows that we've sinned, knows that we aren't going to do everything right, and even then, he loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us. That's the gospel. Not obey and God will love me or God will accept me. No, believe that God already does love you and accepts you, and once you believe that, your life can change from there. I think if I was to sum up the gospel in a phrase Maybe one of the ways I would do it is say that you have nothing to prove. So many of us live our lives with a weight and a burden on our shoulders thinking, I've got to prove myself. I've got to prove it, right? I've got to prove it to God. Maybe it's to prove it to other people. But we live this with this weight of, I've got to prove that I'm worth being loved. I've got to prove to God that I'm worth Him having a relationship with me, Right? And the gospel is, is saying, listen, man, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Sometimes that comes from parenting relationships where if it's an unhealthy relationship that a, a kid had to prove their worth to their parent, right? And that's not a healthy thing. But in a good, healthy parenting relationship, like, that child did nothing <laughs> to be that person's son or daughter. There's a child, a human growing inside of my wife right now that is still blowing my mind that that can happen, right? And I can tell you right now, like even before it's out of the womb, the child has done nothing, right? Child hasn't done anything yet. But my love, my acceptance, like the first time I heard that heartbeat, right? The child doesn't have to do anything. That's not talking about, oh, you mess up and we're going to try to correct things. All that. That child, when I heard the heartbeat, when I saw the hand move, when I saw the foot move, right, when I, when I feel the stomach move, and at first I'm creeped out, but then I'm like, this is our son or daughter. By the way, we don't know. We're going to wait until birth. So we don't know. But this is my son or daughter. That's how God sees us. You don't have to earn his approval first. He loves you. Faith first. And so if you've been living with this misconception of God as Zeus and the guy Zeus in the sky wants to strike you down. You have nothing to prove. He wants to prove to you that he loves you despite any of that, actually. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. The second thing I want to point out is that faith leads to godliness. <laughs> so it's faith first, but second is that true faith does lead to godliness. True faith does lead to transformation. True faith does lead to change in us. Here's the best example probably for me of this is uh, I have four older brothers, and we were all, so that's all I have. I have no sisters. So you just imagine like a super macho manly childhood, right? Everyone was like trying to beat one another up. And, you know, we love, it's a great family. But in that, like all of us were these macho manly guys who were all stubborn, and we probably still are. But I remember my dad, he told all of my brothers this and told me this too. He just said, as we got older and we, you know, start dating and all this stuff and then you get in college and 
hey, I think I might want to marry this person, like those kind of conversations. He would just say, I remember him saying all throughout childhood, he's like, one day you're going to meet a lady and you're going to change. That's all he would say. That was like, he would say anything else. That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Because I right, date this person, date this person. He's like, just one day you're going to meet someone and you're going to change. Right? And I lived a certain ways. And then I met this woman named Crystal. And I fell in love with her. And I really wanted to be with her. And after several months of dating and then into engagement, people started saying some things to me. They said, Calvin, why do you dress better? <laughs> like, you used to wear swimming trunks and flip-flops and a white t-shirt all the time. Like, why do you actually look representable to humans, right? Like, why do you look okay? And you kind of talk different. Like, your language has changed a little bit. And actually, like, we wanted to watch a, a show with you that was pretty bad, and you actually said you didn't want to watch that with us. Like, what's going on, right? And these little things, and in that moment of those conversations, I realized, wait a minute, what my dad said is happening, like, and it's not at all that I need to earn her attention and her love, and if I don't do these things, she's going to not like me and hate me, right? It wasn't that at all. What I realized is as I'm falling in love with this person, I want to be different, like, I, I want to do things differently, I want to talk differently and look a little differently and, and do things better, not because I think like I'm a slave to her or something. No, because I love her. And it actually makes me happy, right? I love her and my love for her led to transformation. And so here's the big, these two things are the big like mystery of the gospel is number one, you don't have to earn God's love. But number two, when you really get it, when you get God's love, it will change you. And the people who are trying to just follow the list of rules, even if they're doing everything right, a lot of times they're all doing it with the wrong motivations. That's why if you read the Gospels, Jesus goes around, and there's super religious people who do everything perfectly right. Like So in our context today, these would be people who go to church, they give their money, they pray all the time, they read the Scriptures, they got the whole Bible memorized, but Jesus would say to them, like, you're not doing it because you love me, though. You're doing it because you want to look good to other people. Or you're doing it because you want to prove it to your parents or to someone else that you're a good person or a good Christian. Or you're doing it to try to prove to God that you're worth his love. And Jesus is saying, like, even if you do all these things right, but you're not doing it because you love me, love-based obedience, you're still missing the point. And so it's faith and love first. That's what a relationship with God is built on. But true faith and love leads to transformation. I remember I grew up in a, uh, I don't know how many of you might have had this experience. I grew up in a small town, less than 1,000 people, in a small town, old school Baptist church. And if anyone else grew up in that, there was one purpose and one mission of everything the church did and every sermon. If you die today, where are you going? And so what they called it was soul winning, right? You might have ever heard that phrase, soul winning. And I'm not saying what they did was wrong at all. But that was it. We didn't care about anything else besides soul winning. And what I found out was that as I grew up, so many people who had walked an aisle and prayed a prayer at one time, 
but then their lives never look different. Months later, years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, nothing was actually different in their lives. And so the disconnect is we don't want to be legalistic. You have to obey this list of rules, and if you don't, God doesn't love you. We're not doing that. But then number two, we're not saying God loves you, and you can love him, and you don't have to change anything. Because we believe if you really get how much God loves you, and if you really love him in return, then you'll want to love him. If you have a relationship with someone, you want to love them and do things good and healthy for that relationship. And so we're walking this fine line. Real fast, I'm going to read two scriptures uh, for Romans. I think he has them on the slide. So Romans chapter 1, verse 5. You could throw that up. This is Paul, same guy, and he writes this letter called Romans, another letter to a church. It's one of his most famous letters, and it's this huge letter where Paul is arguing that God loves us not because of the things we do, but at the very beginning, the first chapter, and the very last chapter of the book, he tells us once again his whole purpose. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. So not just legalistic obedience, right, but not just saying I have faith that doesn't change anything. Paul is saying my whole purpose, my whole mission, my whole life is obedience from a place of faith that I believe God. And then when I read his scripture and he tells me to do this or not do that, it's not that I'm trying to earn his love. It's that I believe him. I trust him. And when he says that doing this thing will bring blessings into my life and will be good for me, I believe that, and so I do it. And when he says, this thing is like walking to a landmine field, and I'm just telling you, if you start walking in this area of your life that I'm telling you you shouldn't, I'm just telling you it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt relationships. It's going to hurt people around you. Obedience from faith. I believe God. I trust God, and so I want to follow him. And then at the end, chapter 16 of the book, he says it again. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, this verse, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. Here's just what I want to focus on. This is the end of the book. So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Obedience that comes from faith. We believe we love, we have faith, and that produces transformation in our life. Now, that's just the introduction. We're going to go through the rest of this a little faster. He starts off the introduction with some weight, right? Verse 5. Now we're going to read verse 5, and, and I'm going to show how this ties together with what we just said. And what's going to happen, we're going to read through this. Verse 5 through 9 is going to talk about one group of people, and then verse 10 through 16 is going to talk about one, one group of people. And then we're going to talk about how they compare to what we just read. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul to Titus. Paul saying, Titus, the reason that I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and you would appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. 
Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good. One who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as he has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. One group of people. Verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they should not teach. And that is for the sake of their own dishonest gain. Each one of their own, uh, even one of their own prophets has said that the Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in their faith. And pay no attention to the Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So Paul is writing to this church, and the context is there's some people in the church, and there's this other group of people in the church, and some conflicts going on, some false teachings going on, and Paul is writing into this situation. And you'll notice he, he talks about elders and church leadership and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into all that with you today, right? You are equipped with a great pastor, with a great team of elders. They can talk to you about all the specifics of your church and how your church leadership works and all that. They got that down. What I want to point out is these two different groups of people, and what is it that stands these two groups of people apart? So I'm going to ask you, just real fast, what's the difference between group A, verse 5 through 9, and group B, verse 10 through 16? In like one word, one or two words, what would you say is the difference? Truth, okay. Someone else? Faith, all right. Someone else? There's a word I'm looking for. Rebellion? Well, that's, yeah, group B, yeah. What would be the opposite of that? <laughs> Obedience. Action. The difference between group A and group B is group A has faith that has led to godliness, they actually do something with what they claim to believe. It actually, this is amazing, their faith actually affects the way they treat their spouse. It actually affects the way they treat their children. It actually affects the way they use their finances. It actually affects the way they're in their community and talk to their neighbors. It actually affects their lives. Group B, if you read that whole section about B, all it talks about group B is how much they talk. <laughs> They're talkers. They're mere deceivers. They teach false things. They go to this house and teach this. And so group B is a group of people that honestly, they probably look really good. They probably dress nice. They probably look good. They probably could talk really elegantly. I mean, they were probably good teachers. What's the problem? <laughs> they claim to know, this is verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. By their actions, they deny him. And if you read about group A, look at the things in group A. Blameless, husband of one wife, man whose children believe, not open to the charge of being wild. 
entrusted with, must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Their faith that they claim to believe in actually affects the way they live. While the other group is all talk. You need to believe this, you need to trust this, you need to do this. But the way they live doesn't back any of it up. And so the question that I started off with today, right, is that we are surrounded by so many voices and so many influences and so many opinions. And if we're not careful, we will just listen to people and follow people because they look really good. And they can talk really good. They can talk good. They look good. They're elegant, right? But what's underneath that? Has faith actually led to obedience? So I would, I would challenge you today, first off, just from like the people, the human stance, the blogs you read, the podcasts you read, the sermons you watch, the people you talk to. For example, uh, <laughs> I remember, I'm not going to say her name, but there was someone on the radio, I don't know if she still is, but years ago there was a person on the radio that my mom used to listen to, and I was like in high school or something, I remember driving and listening to this woman, and she would give marriage advice. She'd have like a show for like an hour, and she would give everyone on the radio marriage advice, right? And it was supposed to be this great marriage advice. And I just remember driving and listening, and at some point in the show where the woman says that she's had three divorces and is not currently married. Now, if you've had a divorce, I'm not saying you're evil or wrong. I'm not trying to say anything like that. What I am saying is it was highly ironic to me that the person who's had three divorces and is not currently in a marriage is the one giving all these people marriage advice. Like, I'm not, I don't have anything against this woman, but maybe not the best role. And, I'm, and my thought is like, why would, why would that be the voice I want to listen to about the way that I should do my marriage? I remember when Kristen and I first got married, and we were doing our wedding registry, and we were at like Bed Bath and Beyond, right? And we were doing our wedding registry and filling out right items because we were poor and we need people to give us stuff. And so we're filling it out, and the woman who was helping us with the registry, she started talking to us about all these like extravagant things that we needed. I mean, I, we have needs. There's nothing wrong with needs, but I'm talking like over the top needs that hey, this is your one chance. People are going to give you a bunch of free stuff, so you need to sign up. And then we were talking, and we found out the woman's had like four or five divorces, and she's not married. And she, and she literally, she told us, and she literally said like, trust me, I've done this four or five times. And I'm like, that's why I don't want to trust you. Like that's, maybe that's, maybe there's an issue there, right? And nothing, I'm not saying like I don't like this person or I hate, I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying if I'm going to listen to a voice on my marriage, I want it to be someone who's got a godly marriage. If I'm going to listen to a voice on how I should handle my finances, I want to listen to the person who knows how to handle their finances, right? They're not falling apart, but they're also hopefully not living just wild and crazy. Like, I want to follow the person who uses their finances in a godly way. I want to, like, we're going to have a new kid, so guess what? I don't know anything about parenting, right? So we went and asked a godly couple, another pastor, dude has like eight kids, the old freaking Brady Bunch over there, but he's a great father and they're great at what they do. And so we said like, I don't know what we're doing, but I see you. I see that your faith 
is played out in your family, and you love them, and you teach them well. Not that you're perfect, but I, but I actually see it working. So would you please, like, mentor us? Can we meet once a month? Can we talk about this? How do you parent? Like, because I saw it backed up by action. So really what I want to challenge you with today is just to evaluate your life. Paul is writing, and he's, he's talking about these two different groups of people that are in some way teaching others, in some way leading others, in some way you're going to follow these people. And every one of us, even if you think you're not, I promise, there's a philosophy, a tradition, a family uh, context that you grew up in, something that affects the way you live, affects, the way what, affects what you believe, affects how you do things. And what I'm asking you to do today, I'm challenging you, is to question that. Why do I believe that? Why do I follow that? Why do I listen to that voice? And to evaluate in a world of so many voices, which are the ones that I should listen to? And my challenge, what I think Paul is telling us, is that follow the people whose, action, whose faith is backed up by their actions, whose faith has led to obedience. That's the whole purpose of Paul's ministry, saying follow those people. Not the people who are legalistic and follow all the rules just to prove it, right? But also not the people who talk about how much they love God and believe, but their life doesn't look like it at all. Follow those whose faith is backed up by action. So I want to take a moment and just ask you, evaluate your life. Just think through finances, kids, like all the topics he talks about here. Finance, in this passage, finances, kids, your temper, drunkenness, violent, dishonest gain, that's going to be a financial thing, hospitable, loves what is good, discipline. You can just walk through kind of each areas of these life and you can say, you know what, what do I think about that area and why? And what is the voice that's telling me I should live that way? And all that's to say is that I hope today that or this week, you'll think about this, you'll be challenged with this, and you will, at the end of the day or the end of the week, say, you know what, I want to list two or three people. This is my challenge to you. List two or three people, physical people, here who live somewhat near you, and you say, you know what, their faith is lived out in their life. I see it in their home. I see it in their work ethic. I see it in the way they handle finances. I want to be modeled after, not that they're perfect, because none of us are perfect. I want you to have two or three people that you write down at the end of today or this week, and you say, you know what, that's a person that I want to learn from, that I want to follow, right? Because that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, these are the people that I want you to set up in these churches so that other people can look at how their faith is in their actions, and they can learn from them. And so you need to have that in your own life. And then the second thing I want to challenge you to do, coming back to the the very beginning, that's kind of on the right here and now people in your context, which you need. Behind that, the bigger thing behind that is ultimately, I want you to have faith in Jesus. <laughs> I want you to really believe that, number one, Jesus loves me, and therefore, what Jesus says, so open up the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books in the Bible that have Jesus' literal words, and say, you know what, Jesus loves me, and he taught. 
And if I have faith in him, if I really do have faith in him, if I really do believe him and how wise he is and how much he loves me, then I can trust what he says. And I can start to do what he says and know that it's what's best for my life. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to uh, close in some prayer, and then the team will come up and lead on to them. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and let's pray through these things. Father, first, we thank you for your love. And the first thing I want to pray for God is that anyone in this room who has a misconception of who you are and how you work, anyone who's been holding on to these beliefs that you're mad at them, beliefs that you hate them, beliefs that you don't love them, God, I pray here and now in this room that you would remove that from their heart. God, I pray you would overwhelm them with just how much you love them, that you would send your own son Jesus to die for them, God. If you're struggling to believe that God loves you, would you just tell him that? Would you say, maybe repeat after me, to yourself, God, I struggle to believe that you love me like you say you do. Help me to, com- oh, help me to overcome my unbelief. The second thing I want to pray for is maybe you've been doing this Christian thing for a while and saying you believe and saying you have faith, but if we're honest, that faith hasn't led to godliness. That seed hasn't taken full root and sprouted yet. So as you think of those areas of your life, whether it is children, your spouse, your finances, self-control, or a specific sin, lust, anger, guilt, alcohol, depression, whatever it is going on in your life, that faith hasn't fully started leading to obedience. Would you just take a moment to tell Jesus? Say, Jesus, I love you. I believe you love me. But I want my faith to actually change me. And so I want to surrender these areas of my life to you and to live for you. The last thing I want to pray for is who we follow. Jesus, we live in a world with so many voices and so many opinions that affect us. I pray that you would give us godly men and women in our lives that we can look up to and we can see that the faith they believe in has led to life transformation and we can say, you know what, there's a mentor, there's a model that I can pursue after and learn what it looks like to have a godly life. I pray, God, that each person in this room would know clearly a couple people, two people, three people, that they say their faith has led to godliness. They would know those people and they would begin to talk to them about whatever areas in their life they need to. And ultimately, Jesus, I pray that we would know at the end of the day, we all follow someone or something. But that you, Jesus, are more worthy to follow than anything else or anyone else this world has to offer. You have more wisdom. You show more mercy and grace. You show more love to us, more forgiveness to us. And talking about faith 
backed up by action. You have more courage and strength and power to take all the good things we talk about and say and you actually live them out to the point that being sinless, you would allow yourself to be beaten, mocked, spit on, and hung on a cross because of how much you love others. There is no greater example and there's no one who I want to follow in my life more than that, who I want to listen to more than that, who I want to obey more than that because I see your love for me and therefore I love you. And God, I pray that that would be the same for each person in this room. They would see how much you love them. And just like Paul prayed and Paul's purpose was that you would increase their faith and knowledge of the truth and it would lead to a life of godliness. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this. In your name I pray. Amen.